Thank you guys so much for coming. Tonight I want to jump into our topic that we're talking about. Tonight I want to talk about something that's kind of near and dear to my heart, something that is a uh, we try to instill as a cultural part of Chi Alpha. And uh, But before we get into that, uh, did anybody watch the Cowboys-Vikings game? It was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. Um, it is a rough being a Vikings fan, guys, okay? Like, really, really rough. I told this to somebody in the back, but, like, I know how the Lord feels when, like, we're like, yeah, I'm really excited about you, and then we just, like, never mind, I'm not excited about you anymore. That's what the Vikings do to me all the time, all right? They're like, Steve, look at this. We're 5-0. and Now we're going to lose four games in a row. It's like, we're going to win a game. Now we're going to lose to the Lions on Thanksgiving Day on a last-second field goal. And now we're going to be beating the Cowboys, the 10-1 team, the best team in the, in the NFC. And then we're going to lose because we fumbled the football on a punt return. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I tell you what, it is just, it's nasty. Don't be a Vikings fan. If you, if, you, if you are thinking about it, steer the other way, please. Save yourself the misery. All right, that's all I'm going to say about that. I, I appreciate you allowing me to be vulnerable with you tonight. I needed to get that off my chest. So back to the cultural important thing in Chi Alpha. We're gonna, tonight, I want to talk about honor. And I know that sound, kind of sounds like a really broad topic, and it kind of is, but we're going to break down what it means to honor someone, what true honor looks like, and why true honor is important. I think honor is a foundational part of Christianity. It's a foundational part of, of good character in a human being. It's a foundational part of how we love people, how we can respect people, and how we can serve people. And it's really important to talk about because it is such a foundational part of our walks with the Lord. See, honor to me, well, Webster defines it this way, to regard or treat with great respect or with great esteem. I would define honor this way, to hold others or to see others as more important than we see ourselves. Honor means to, to see other people around us as more important than we see ourselves, to lift other people up, not to drive ourselves down, right? Not to be like, oh, I'm so lowly, right? But to say, you know what? I am going to treat you as if you are more important than myself, than me. And that is why honor is such a foundational part of who we are as Christians. I, I used to teach before I became a pastor full-time, and... Uh, and I taught high school biology and physics. And I don't know, how many people remember being a, a sophomore in high school, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, sophomores are kind of stink bombs, all right? Both, like, physically and, like, you know, figuratively. They, they, uh, they have the tendency to kind of be in, in a weird age. And I, I, uh, I could really tell which one of my students came from a home that valued and taught honor. It was so easy to see that because the, the students that came from a home that valued and taught honor weren't necessarily the straight-A students all the time. They weren't necessarily the ones that, that got the best grades and did the best and all this stuff, but they were the students that were the most hungry to learn and the students that were the most hungry to listen and the students that, res that respected other people and respected me more than anybody else. They were my favorite students. And I know you're not supposed to have favorite students as a teacher, but you obviously do, all right? It's like, and, and some of you are like, yeah, 
I was a favorite. You might not have been, all right? I'm, I'm not talking about honor does not mean kissing up. Honor does, and, and, and students that knew how to honor did not, they were not the kiss-ups, okay? Those were not my favorite students. I'd be like, back off. I'm not raising your grade. Are you kidding me? But they were, the, they were the students who came into class every single day believing that they could grab something and learn something from their teacher and from the, from the material that we we're teaching. This was incredibly powerful for them as people, and I think it's incredibly powerful for us in our walks with the Lord. It's foundational. See, if we fail to honor, a number of things happen in our lives. And I want to go through a couple of these things real quick. I made a list of a few. If we fail to honor people, if we fail to hold other people or to hold God as more important than ourselves, we fail to receive wisdom from others and depend on the school of consequences. There's two schools of, two schools of learning in this world, the school of wisdom and the school of consequences. I'll let you decide which one that you want to go to, all right? I've been to the school of consequences enough to know that you should go to the school of wisdom, all right? If we fail to honor, we inhibit spiritual growth by closing ourselves off to discipleship. If we fail to honor, we start relying on our own strength, which eventually leads to exhaustion. When we fail to honor, we start developing a calloused heart due to pride. When we fail to honor, we, instead of realizing that others can build us up, we tear people down or we tear ourselves down. When we fail to honor, we inhibit growth of those around us by thinking we can do things better than them. When we fail to honor, we speak words of death rather than words of life. The Bible says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. When we fail to honor, we give the sin of gossip fertile ground to grow in our lives. When we fail to honor, we do things for others based off of what it can do for us rather than what it can do for them. And when we fail to honor, we place an unhealthy amount of honor on certain people, resulting in human worship and eventual disappointment. See, all of us are drawn to honor someone, and so what do we do? We elevate people. We elevate stars and athletes and all these people that we think are really incredibly cool and, and, and all this stuff, and all of a sudden we start to honor, almost worship these human beings that are the same as everybody else. Speaking of great athletes, uh, what, is Edwin here? Yeah, come on. Dude, this guy got 15th in nationals the other day. Stand up, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That's cool, brother. What'd you say? What? Oh, 34th. Still awesome, man. Yeah, way to go. <laughs> You're so noble. I just would have went with it, man. Yeah, 15th. Hope they don't read the newspaper. All right. <laughs> Oh, that's cool, man. Congratulations. You see, when we honor people, we're actually honoring God in the process. God gave us two commands, love God and love your neighbor, right? Really simplifies it. Honor God and honor people. So when we honor people, we're actually honoring God in the process, but we will never be able to honor people unless we first honor God. It's kind of a conundrum, right? We can't honor God unless we honor people, 
And we can't honor people unless we honor God. The two things have to happen simultaneously. Otherwise, it's not going to work. If we try honoring people without honoring God, we are just some sort of, just some sort of humanitarian philanthropist. But if we, all we do is honor God without honor, honoring people, we're, we're a religious being that's just trying to follow this set of rules that God gave us, and we don't have any care about people. We need to be running both tracks at the same time. And so how do we do this? How do we get there? If it's so important in our lives, how do we do this? Well, I'm, I think we can learn from a couple people in the Word of God. Their names are, uh, well, the disciples is what we call them. And uh, we're going to look at them in Luke 5. Luke 5. And in Luke 5, this is very early on in their walks with the Lord. In fact, it's kind of the start of their walks with Jesus. Jesus is trying to find his disciples. He's trying to figure out who it is that he's going to entrust with his message, who, he is, who it is that going, he's going to entrust with sharing the gospel with the entire world. This is pretty important stuff, all right? This is like a very, very, like the most important job interview that has ever taken place in the history of the world is happening in Luke chapter 5, all right? And this is what Jesus says. He says, one day, this is what the word says. One day Jesus was standing by the lake of, oh my gosh, I know how to pronounce this word. I'm having a, a faux pas right now. Okay. With the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw the water's edge. Like, we don't want to listen to this guy. He doesn't even know how to pronounce a word in the Bible. All right. So bear with me. Gennesaret is how you pronounce that. With the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw the water's edge. Two, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, I want you just to, to picture this with me for a second, okay? Jesus sees these two boats sitting there, and he's like, yeah. I'm going for a boat ride. <laughs> Woo! Hey, Simon! Bro! Come here! Push me out, all right? If I was Simon, I'd be like, bro, I'm working here, right? Like, what in the world? But no, no, he listened to Jesus. He's like, okay, Jesus, let's do this. We're going for a boat ride. And they're out in this boat. And he says, okay, hey, put your net into deep water and let down the nets for the catch. And Simon answered him. Now, Simon is like, you can tell he's a little bit miffed here, like, all right? Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Like, really? You're asking me to do something else right now? But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Everyone say, because you say so. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. This would be awesome to see. <laughs> then Simon Peter saw this. He fell to Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. The greatest, most intense 
most important job interview that has ever taken place in the world was settled because there was a group of men who were approached by Jesus, and when they were asked to do something that made absolutely no sense at all, they did it anyways. Why? Because these were men who knew how to honor the people around them. They were men who knew how to put someone else above themselves. And because of that, Jesus knew that he had found somebody that he could attach himself to, that he could give and train everything that he knew about ministry to. And that he could entrust with the sending forth of the gospel. I don't know about you, but I want Jesus to be able to trust me with whatever it is that he wants me to do. I want Jesus to be able to trust me with doing great things for his kingdom. I want to pass the job interview when Jesus comes to me and says, Steve, do you know how to honor people? I want, to, I want him to be able to say, yeah, I know you know how to honor people. I know, how you, I know that you know how to put others above yourself and how to put God above your own plans. So what did these guys do? Well, the first, I got three things that I want to share with you tonight. The first one is that these guys knew that they needed to stop honoring themselves. They needed to stop honoring themselves. See, in order to honor others, we need to swallow our pride. We need to realize that we don't have everything together all the time, that the world doesn't revolve around us. See, the disciples, this is an interesting story. I love how the disciples say, dude, uh, Jesus, here's the deal, man. We've been fishing all night, and we haven't caught anything. It would have been like an insult, right? It would have been like, dude, guess what? You're going to catch fish right over here. Have you guys ever been fishing with somebody who thinks they know everything? You know what I'm saying? And you're like, you have way more experience than them, but they're like, oh, yeah. And they, like, tell fish stories all the time. There's this one time. You know, and you're like, like, tell this fish story. They're like, yeah, I did that once, but I caught three at the same time. You know what I mean? All right? I don't know about you, but I probably would have been feeling that way if I was if I was Simon here. Who Simon, by the way, eventually becomes Peter. Um, Jesus is like, "Hey, you're going to have a new name," and he gives him a new identity. The whole the whole nine yards. So this was a very important dude, and so he's like sitting there. He had just spent all night fishing and hadn't caught a thing. If you had spent all night fishing and hadn't caught a thing, you would be very very irritated, right? You had just worked like a 12-hour day, and you have no money and nothing to show for it. And now some carpenter, who is a, also a rabbi, who has no experience fishing, comes into, has the nerve to come into your boat and tell you to cast your nets out after you've been tired and you're sitting there cleaning your nets. You just, Jesus, I just got these things cleaned. I ain't going to throw them back in that mucky, nasty water. I just saw, no, never mind. I just, yeah, I better not go there. So, (laughs) right? I mean, this was a huge task. And it wasn't dip, man, the disciples were not dip netters. All right? It wasn't like, I can sip a soda and I can, you know, whatever. No. The disciples had (laughs) these nets. (laughs) Thanks, I appreciate that. These nets were gigantic. These nets were absolutely huge. What he was asking Peter to do was no simple task. But how does Peter respond? He he gives him a little bit of attitude. Dude, we haven't caught anything all day. But because you say so, we will let down our nets. 
You see, he saw something in Jesus. He saw something in Jesus that was worthy of honor. And, and Peter, I believe Peter's character was such that because this guy was a teacher, because he realized that this person had something different about him, he realized that, that he was able to put other people's requests, other people's life, other people's esteem beyond his own. He did what Jesus asked. You see, when we stop honoring ourselves, when we stop thinking that we have it all together, when we stop thinking that, you know, I got this, I don't need anybody, and we as Alaskans, man, we're the worst at this because we are independent. We live in Alaska. But here's the deal. When we stop honoring ourselves, all of a sudden we become teachable, we become moldable, our pride starts to extinguish, and we position ourselves to become a disciple. We position ourselves to learn from other people who maybe, just maybe, have a little bit more wisdom than we do in certain areas of our lives. And when we learn to stop honoring ourselves, we can get to number two, which means that we start honoring others. When we start, we can start honoring others. The disciples were able to honor this carpenter, this, this, this teacher who had no fishing experience. They were able to honor him. How? Well, because they knew that they had to put other people's needs, other people's requests above their own. I, I think that this is one of the most important tools, and anybody that's married in here will tell you the same thing. Well, Aaron and I do uh, pre-marriage counseling for couples who are preparing to be married. And, uh, and so many times we get asked the question, man, what, what's your like one piece of marriage advice? If you could sum everything up, what would it be? And I say the same thing every single time. Remain teachable. Remain teachable. You see, teachability is simply us saying, you know what, there are people in this world that maybe have something to offer that I can't offer. There's people in this world that maybe know something that I don't know. There's people in this life that if I can hold in high esteem that I'm going to be able to learn something from and I'm going to be able to go to the school of wisdom rather than go to the school of consequences and screw everything up and learn through that way. You see, if we remain teachable, no matter what we walk through in a marriage, no matter what we walk through in a relationship, no matter what we walk through in life, if we remain teachable, we will always look for maybe not just a solution for the problem, but we will look to someone else who might have a solution for the problem. Teachability is what drives us towards God. If we're not teachable, we will never be motivated to want to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from him. Because we'll think, man, I got this. I, can, I, just, need to, I just need to work a little harder. I just need to, to buck up a little bit more. I just need to press on just a little bit more. When we honor others, we become so teachable. If you guys have your Bibles, I'm going to have you open to Romans 12 real quick. We're going to start in verse 3, and it says this. It says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. In other words, don't take so many selfies, all right? So, uh, no, that's not what he's trying to say there. Just, just as each of us 
has one body with many members. Now listen to what this says. And these members do not have all the same function. So in Christ, we are many for, we who are many form one body. And each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let, encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing, let, him, let to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern, govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, and honor one another above yourselves. This passage really paints the perfect picture of what we're talking about tonight. Essentially what it's saying is that, hey, you don't actually have all your poop in a group, right? You don't have it all together. There are people in this world that have been gifted to give you things. There's the body of Christ. Do not try to be an eyeball when you are a nose. There are people here who want to tell you how to experience those things that you don't know about. There's people that if you honor, they will be able to teach you things. And sometimes this comes from, from people who are an authority over us, but sometimes it, it doesn't. You see... I meet with a lot of college students during the week, a lot of young adults during the week, and, and I've been doing this type of ministry for almost 10 years now, and I, I, I could go into a meeting with a student with the attitude of like, oh, hey, psh, I'm going to learn them a thing or two, right? But what God has convicted me about, what he has shown me is he said, Steve, go into every single meeting with someone, go into every single time you hang out with someone looking to learn something from them. Regardless if they're not serving the Lord or they've been serving the Lord for a week or whether they've been serving the Lord for longer than you've been alive, you have something to learn from every single person you come into contact with. From the person who doesn't know Jesus, I can learn about their perspective of the world and I can, I can, I can become more aware of, of, of where they're coming from. For, from someone that, that just figured out how to, how to follow Jesus, I can learn about, man, what, what are some things that, that, that I need to be better at teaching? What are some things that I'm lacking and that we're lacking in Chi Alpha that, that could help you and equip you? See, there's always something to learn from every single person that we come into contact with. And if we start living life like that, we start to live life out of attitude of absolute humility. And so the question becomes, Steve, what about, what about the people who are undeserving of honor? How can I honor someone who doesn't deserve to be honored? Well, I will tell you this, that honoring someone, elevating someone above yourself who doesn't deserve to be there could potentially be one of the greatest ministry tools that you will have for sharing the love and compassion and mercy and character of God with that person. Because essentially that's what Jesus did for us, right? He said, I'm willing to go to the cross for you even though you don't deserve this love and this compassion and this mercy. I'm willing to do this for you. And so honoring someone that is undeserving of our honor, loving our enemies is one of the greatest tools that we have for bringing the gospel and the love of Jesus to that person. And the last thing that we need to do in order to be people of honor
After we stop honoring ourselves, we start honoring others. We need to make sure that we're honoring God, that we start honoring God. The disciples may not have known it yet, but they were actually honoring God through honoring Jesus. And I believe we are called to do the same thing. I believe there's a difference between knowing God and honoring God. Let me explain that for a second. We can know God and not honor him. If you talk to most Americans today and you ask them, does God exist? Most of the time, you will get a yes answer. You say, yeah. Yeah, I believe he does. And, but, but that doesn't mean that they're actually honoring God. They might know that God exists. You might know that God exists. You believe that he exists. You believe that he talks to you. But that doesn't mean that you're honoring him. You might believe that Jesus was real and that he was the son of God. And maybe you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. So you know Jesus. But that doesn't mean that you're necessarily honoring Jesus. You see, to honor Jesus, to honor God, is to elevate God way beyond where we have positioned ourselves. To honor God says that, God, your will and your ways are higher and way better than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. You and your plans for my life are way more important than my plans. This is where surrender comes from. This is where absolute obedience comes from. This is how Jesus was able to go to a cross for us. Why? Not because he was like, what does the Bible say? He became humble, right? He became humble. He did not, he did not try, he did not see equality with God as something to be grasped. But he humbled himself to obedience, to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus was willing to honor God no matter what the cost, no matter what the price, no matter what it meant for him. But you see, there is blessing on the other side of honor. Jesus illustrated this for us in Luke 5, that when we actually say yes to the Lord, when we say yes to things that don't necessarily make sense to us, when we say yes to throwing our nets that we just washed that we just got done fishing for 12 hours and we're going to throw our nets back out there, that doesn't make any sense. When we say yes to that, there is blessing that is waiting for us. And no, I do not mean that if you serve Jesus, you're going to have a really great fishing summer this summer. I'm not promising that at all whatsoever. What I am saying is that if you honor those around you and you honor God, you are going to receive growth you're going to receive discipleship. You're going to receive wisdom and power and life and encouragement and equipping and sending. Because that is exactly what happened to the disciples. Because of honor, they were selected for the greatest mission that we've ever seen on the face of this earth. And we are sitting in this room today because 12 guys decided to honor God above their own will in their life. We are sitting in this room talking about them today because 2,000 years ago, some 20-year-olds decided to cast their nets because this crazy rabbi dude who just hijacked their boat told them to. What is God asking you to do and who is God asking you to honor? And what does that look like in your life? Romans 1, verse 21, Paul writes this. He says, For although they knew God, 
they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. In other words, they did not honor him. Although they knew God, they did not honor God. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now listen to this. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. How often do we do this in our lives? We say, God, you're great. I know you, but I'm not going to honor you because I got wisdom. But the word of God says, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and eventually they focused their honor on something else. Where is our honor focused? Is it focused on the Lord? Are we honoring God in everything that we do? Are we saying your ways and your thoughts are higher than my thoughts? Are we honoring those around us? Thank <laughs> you.